0: This is a Seafarer Interactive Podcast, Kafarocom. Okay, and there we go. Welcome to another episode of Wild Cards in the Fives studio. We're here sitting, interviewing Blag the Ripper of the dwarves of many things. He's in the studio. Let's talk to him.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Tom. It is my great pleasure to be here. Fort Collins, Colorado is a wonderful town and you know they tell me you're burning up the whole broadcasting uh, establishment so i'm 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 ready i'm ready for some hard hitting questions here man i'm not going to hold back
0: that's right we're we've got some some pretty nice ones today we're going to go a little bit in depth you could say so let's just get it started. Let's hop into some. Okay. So, you started the dwarves when? when? When about was that?
1: Well, when I was in high school, I uh, started playing with uh, Sergeant Saul Peter. I guess he's the original... Uh, or no, Simone. I guess he would be the original first dwarf that I came up with. Um, and by I think by about 10th grade, we had something for uh, uh, like a school talent show or something. And it was called... Uh, we called ourselves Sexually Deprived Youth. And then... Uh, <laughs> the next year we did, uh, we were calling it The Suburban Nightmare, so that was by, I guess, 80, I want to say maybe, yeah, 82 would have been the first show ever, 83 we became Suburban Nightmare, and I think by 85 we were the dwarves, but, you know, kind of the skeleton of the band was was guys who knew each other in high school. Yeah, and
0: you you put out a, a track
1: under The Suburban
0: Nightmare, or a whole
1: album even, right? Well, yeah, we had a song, uh, so our first recording that ever came out, we just recorded in the basement on a cassette deck, and it was uh, it was a Christmas song called Schizophrenic Christmas. There was a garage label out of New York then called Midnight Records, and they did a lot of garage bands, and they were doing this Christmas comp, so we made up a Christmas song and threw it on there, so that officially was the first Suburban Nightmare thing, and then Midnight put out uh, an EP, which was called A Hard Day's Nightmare, and that came out yeah, nineteen. I think that was released '85 and recorded '84, if I'm not mistaken. And then, you know, first first Dwarves records uh, came out in '86, 80, I guess. And and was uh, am I right about that? Was it '86? Yeah, I think it was either '85 or '86. I like, uh, that that one came out, and um, that was the first full length uh, record. And that was uh, Horror Stories by the Dwarves.
0: Yeah. All right. So you you obviously you started pretty young you started pretty you know in inexperienced
1: I started everything pretty young Tom you know what I mean it was a different era then you know, we weren't we weren't quite as sheltered and chaperoned as you young folks today you know what I'm saying they kind of left us on our own a little bit so we we were running around and yeah but yeah rock band I was I was maybe 16 but 16 first time I played in a nightclub so put it that way yeah so what what would
0: you say to kids today who want to start doing this sort of thing? You know,
1: you know the first thing I'd say is don't be afraid. You know, just enjoy yourself and do it and see see kind of who you are. Um, you know, it's funny because I've been uh, it, music has changed in that way. Like I think um, now that it's so easy to sort of uh, with the technology to kind of record yourself and program things. Um, the landscape has changed because I think what you're seeing now is like talented people kind of figure out how to do stuff on their own and make a whole track. And that wasn't really the model when I was a kid. You kind of had to find some people. I mean, if you wanted, if you were a guitar player and you wanted drums on your record, you had to go find a drummer. You know, if you wanted bass on your record, you had to go find a bass player. You know, and and. Uh, You know, I mean, obviously we could overdub back then. It wasn't prehistory. You know, some people made albums on their own, Boston and Prince and whoever. But, you know, really you kind of needed a band if you wanted to hear noise behind you and go play a show. And I think now, you know, for young people that are talented, a lot of times they feel like, well, why should I get a band? I can just program stuff. Um, And there's something to be said for that. I think some people are making great, great music that way. Um, But you you do lose a certain reckless element and a certain element of, you know, other people can make you better. They can egg you on and change your style. And, you know, I think that that's kind of the thing that's changed. I think, you know, if you're in a band, you really got to make use of all the members and all their personalities and really try and draw that out, you know. So I guess I'd say... If you're a sociable kind of person and you make music, you know, get a band rolling, you know. And if you're just a home guy, kind of be aware that you might be making great music and that's great. But you know, you can incorporate other people in there, get them into sing, or play a little overdub, or do something. Try and open up a little bit so you get some in, some something from outside, and it's not all just you, you know, doing your thing. Uh, but everybody's different with that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, when we, our band sort of started Worthless Commodity, if you're not, you know, following us. The
1: WC and the place to be.
0: Yeah, so when we sort of started, I mean, we weren't even, you know, good enough to, you know, make something good together. But honestly, I think, you know, I don't even know if I'd still be playing the same kind of music I am now if I hadn't joined that band, you know. I think you're right, it does give you, you know, just... In your recordings, it gives you a lot more, and in your you know, performance, it gives you a lot more. But I think, you know, as a person, I've definitely grown because of, you know, what I've learned from them and what they've, you know, brought to this sort of group. So I think, yeah, I, I totally agree. You gotta...
1: And you guys kind of go off on each other, you know? The whole Seamus thing, you guys kind of celebrated Seamus, you know? And there was sort of his exploits, and then you guys would laugh about it and write a song. I mean, that was a lot of what the dwarves were like, you know? I'll never forget walking down the street with Sergeant Saul Peter. I think we it was even before we had a band. I think we were just freshmen in high school walking down the street. And I remember we were walking past the Burger King. It was like out by the highway. We're walking past the Burger King. And he looks at me real seriously. And he goes, you know, my asshole actually eats penises. And I just started laughing so hard. I couldn't stop. I mean, I think I laughed for like five minutes straight. I was just dying. And I just always knew, like, this guy's my friend, you know? Like, just yesterday, he, he called me, you know? We, we we still see each other. I mean, it's, it's 40 years later, you know? I mean, you're pretty lucky if you got a buddy that's going to be your buddy for 40 years, you know? It's like, I owe that guy so much in terms of his contribution to the band and what we did. And, and you know, I never could have done it without him. They're just... You know, so it's very... And then I just have so many guys like that. He who, and Simone and, you know, I never even would have gotten started, you know? It wouldn't have felt right, you know? I couldn't have done it by myself, because for me, you know, there's different levels of talent, too. You know, some guys can just kind of do everything, you know? You know, they can sing, and they can dance, and they can, you know, shoot a basketball and do everything, you know? And for me, it was like... I, I had a lot of musical ideas, and I could songwrite after a while, and I had, I had some cool things about me, but I wasn't a very good musician ever, you know? And I needed somebody to be a good musician, you know? And now, and, and now it's, it's like a dream come true, you know? Because all these years later, there's all these good musicians that will play with me and I'm just in awe of them and their take on It's like, fuck, we get to play with this guy. He's cool. Look at all these songs he wrote and these things he did. And he d- he's done all this crazy shit. And I, I look at it like, man, I'm just lucky to be standing with you. Like, you're actually talented, you know? So it, it you get lucky if you can keep going with more and more people. They're better and better, you know? Like, that's kind of the dream. But the thing you have with your buddies at the beginning, you'll never replace that. Never. I mean, it's just... You know, that's the coolest thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, I,
0: you know, you know Seamus, uh, he left the band at some point. you know, Right, he, you felt the shame. Yeah, he, he wanted to, <laughs> you know, he wanted to pursue his other stuff, like his, um, you know, solo stuff. His, you know, he's got a project called
1: Stinky Cock, which is pretty <laughs> good. He's got one called... Ah. <laughs> See, here's, I mean, in my day, if you said... Right? That would definitely get people's attention. You know what I mean? Like, it's funny because people think like, oh, back then you could do anything. No, you couldn't. If you said people would be like, whoa. You know, it wasn't getting on the radio with whatever it was. But people kind of understood like, okay, that's punk rock. You know, you're saying something nasty. I think now you really got to have guts to say something like Because immediately you get shut down and it's like, hey, you know, what are you condoning rape or what are you blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, no, this is art. It's a hard thing. You know, raping somebody is bad, but calling your band is different. You know, and you, and you, it, it, those two things are fundamentally different. And I think that's, what's changed between, you know, you starting your band and me when I did mine, like at least when I did mine, people kind of understood, oh, okay, these guys are trying to be nasty and this is what they've come up with. And now, you know, you get this kind of like you're condoning rape culture, you know, and all, all this stuff that's very, you know, uh, I think overblown and silly, you know, you have to let art be art because the whole point of art is that you get it out of your system and then you don't need to do it. You know, if you make a movie about shooting people up. Maybe you don't need to go out and shoot people up. You know what I mean? It's you, you get it out of your system with art, you know, and it's, I feel like today there's a lot of people who aren't really artists, you know, they check boxes, you know, and they say, well, you know, I'm, they go down the list of their little identity stuff. So it's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm this or that, right? I'm, I'm Latino or I'm Asian or I'm a lesbian or I'm, you know, I'm a woman or I'm this and that which is fine. I mean, that's what you're starting from, but then you have to do something with it. And I feel like now you got a lot of people that are just really proud to be like, I'm this, you know, and now I'm going to write a song about what people who are just like me go through, you know, and you better understand it. You know, it's like, no, man, you, you have to kind of touch that other part of yourself, that art part of yourself, that part that is, confusing and that you don't know exactly what it is and you got to kind of reach across things and make some mistakes and do some things wrong and you know it's I feel like your generation is very your parents kind of hovered around you and they knew everything you were doing and everything got scrutinized and they didn't really let you guys go you know but I think it's great that there's still young bands that aren't afraid, you know. Like, All right, I'm going to do this, you know. I don't care what people say, you know. I mean, that's that's who you got to be. Yeah, I mean,
0: that that's interesting because, you know, I don't know. When I, when I first heard, you know, some of the dwarves, you know, earlier kind of stuff, you know, I wouldn't have assumed that you would say, you know, oh, I'm an artist, I consider this, you know, art. Like from, maybe it's just because it's, because it was so effective and it was so convincing, but it really seemed like you were just, you know,
1: like you really were everything. (laughs) Well, yeah, I I appreciate you saying that. I mean, it's like when an actor is so good that you go, I just believed it, you know, and that got us in a lot of trouble, right? Because there was a lot of people who didn't want to do business with me because they were like, this guy sounds insane, you know, I'm not going to deal with him. And it was like, oh, no, I'm really a nice guy. It's a joke, you know, we're having fun with it. It's, you know, um... So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, but look, art is, I think when you're really doing art correctly, you're channeling something. You're no longer, it's not the same as doing your homework, you know? There's, you can do a lot of practicing and improvement and work on it, yes, but the art is you're just channeling something. It's not you anymore. And I think we were successful at a young age at really channeling a rage and a, a feeling and we communicated it so even when we technically got stuff wrong you felt like it was real you know you could feel the realness of it you know but it was also an expression of my identity I mean I was just you know I'm an aggressive heterosexual man with a big mouth you know so there was you know like I it would have been hard for me to pretend to be something else you know
0: okay so sort of going off of that a little bit Uh, You know, you
1: obviously, you were really into it. You were sort of, you know, you were really expressing yourself. I mean, the one other thing I'd say, I'm sorry to cut you off, but when you bring up art, I have a very expansive view of art. A lot of people think, oh, you play guitar, you're an artist. You know, it's like, nah. You know, oh, you paint pictures, you're an artist. No, I think you can be an artist if you're a plumber. I think you can be an artist if you're an accountant. To me, the artist is always the person who makes an art out of what they do. So we've all had a shitty cupcake and a mediocre cupcake, but it's an artist that makes a great cupcake. You know what I mean? So for me, it's like I knew I was an artist because I kept working on this music and I was trying to make something out of it. And I was laboring over it and I was trying to channel something too, something real. But to me, yeah, that's what makes you an artist, you know, is that you approach life like an artist, no matter what you're doing. You don't have to play music or do any of the conventional arts. My accountant's an artist, man. He's a cool guy, we have a good rapport, and he plays around with my numbers and makes it work for me. You know what I mean? I mean, that's an artist, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I can definitely agree with that, for sure. I can definitely see where you're coming from. I don't know, I've definitely got, you know, more of a a limited view of it than you, I guess. You know, I'm not really as experienced in that sort of, you know, thing. But, I don't know, I've definitely started to try to see it a lot more in that way. And I think, yeah, I mean, I don't know really how to put it, but I don't know. I guess I'm just sort of, I don't know, less confident in myself to do something like that and call it art, you know? Like when I think of, you know, doing something unconventional as art, I think of, you know, just doing, you know, a certain medium in a weird way. But I guess if you're, you know, a lot better than that, which, you know, who knows, maybe I will be someday. I think you can definitely do something great with anything.
1: Yeah, that's the other level of the game. You know, I mean, Donald Trump is a bullshit artist, dude. No one has ever constructed a larger mountain of bullshit and ridden it farther than him in, I think, arguably in human history. I don't think anybody has, has erected a Babylon tower of bullshit as big as that. I mean, you have to give him credit for that. He, he is an artist. He's a destructive artist, you know. He's a person who's making the world worse for everybody else. But he is an artist at the art of, you know, self-promotion. He made himself a household name for having big money and being smart and being the president. And he's he's dumb and he inherited his money and he's a shitty president, but hey, you know, and, and you know, that's kind of the the how 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 I view things. You know, I, I always admire anyone who does anything well, you know, um, but, you know, you got to also look at what people are doing. I mean, if you're the best serial killer, well, okay, you know, you're doing something really well, but it's it's a destructive thing that's hurting people, you know, and I think making records and communicating and playing shows is is a positive thing, you know, so if you're doing that well, then you're really an artist in the best sense of the word, you know, so anyway, I'm sorry to cut you off.
0: No, that, that was good. Uh, what I was going to say, I think, was something some along these lines. Uh, so you, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I'd call you one of the more exposed members of the dwarves, because you all sort of, you know, you've got, you know, stage names, and you've got, you know, sort of personas, but I think he who, you know, sort of stands out in that respect. And I was just wondering, like, do you think, you know, that sort of huge, that, you know, huge disconnect between this persona of this person you're, you know, being on stage and the person you really are, like, do you think that's detrimental to making art at all? Or do you think that's more of a positive because
1: it helps you sort of, you know, remove yourself from it a little bit? I think it just kind of shows you how, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, you know, because I'm a little closer in real life to my stage persona. There's funny... Differences that people look at and laugh at when they're with me and they realize, like, wow, you do that, you know. But for the most part, it's like, you know, my my persona and me have a lot of points where we meet on the Venn diagram. He who is really, he is just Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, that guy on stage and the things he did and a lot of shit that he did off stage that was also crazy is really not analogous to him and his personality at all, at all. I mean, you can sit in a room with he Who for four hours and he won't say shit. He, he you know, he makes you look talkative. He, he is, like, amazingly taciturn, quiet guy, you know what I mean? And uh, And I think having that identity to jump into really helped him to be an artist. I think it made a huge difference. You know, I think with me, you know, maybe I would have been a loud mouth writer or a loud mouth comedian or a loud, you know, whatever I did, you know what I mean? But I think with, with guys like he, who it's a good example of how like, you know, um, assuming an identity and a character can really help you to free yourself and then make art, you know? Uh, you know, the best actors really inhabit a role and the best musicians are willing to, like, become this thing. And that's always the hardest part about getting new guys into the dwarves to play. Right? Because we're cool guys and we're hanging out with you and we go out to lunch and I fly you out and you go and, you know, things are cool. If you're in that room with us and you're not up to our intensity level, you get shut out immediately. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just, uh, you know, it might sound like kind of an asshole thing, but it's like... You can't even hang in the room with us if you can't do it. You know, we're not mean to you, but it's like, oh, so, you know, we kind of look at each other in the room and it's like, oh, it's one of these guys. It doesn't mean they can't play. They might be talented. It doesn't mean, you know, they don't have any ideas or that they'll never be able to do anything interesting, but it means we're a group and we're pitched at a certain level. And when you come in and you're not pitched at our level, either talent wise or just intensity wise, you just kind of get pushed out, you know?
0: Uh, do you want to talk about Snoopak, for example?
1: <laughs> oh, Snoopak, right. Yeah, but I mean, to finish with He Who, I mean, he, it, to me, he's the symbol of the band, you know? And it always meant a lot to me that he was there. I mean, only because he's my he's my friend, he's a great guy, he's very talented and all these things, and and, uh, and again, I mean, yeah, but it's just that Jekyll and Hyde of him is it, so interesting to me, and it it's such an interesting realm, um, now a guy like Snoopock, that's an interesting one, right? Because he's not much older than you. I mean, I think that cat's like 22. Um, and what happened with him is that he's just a died-in-the-wool rock and roller for life. We met him when he was 12 years old. He got up on stage with us at Punk Rock Bowling in Vegas. We were on the main stage. There was probably 5,000 people in that crowd. I, w- I you know, something like that. You know, maybe, maybe 2,000, 3,000. I, I can't remember, but it was a big-ass outdoor crowd with a bunch of people that were coming to see, you know, some big headliner, and, and we were we we're on the bill, you know. And I see this kid in the crowd singing along to every song, and he knows every word, and he's kind of confidently doing it. And finally, I just reached down and pulled him up on stage or threw the mic in his hand, and damned if he didn't sing three songs from Blood, Guts, and Pussy dead-on perfect. And it was just like, damn, man, this kid's a star, you know. I mean, I had to tell him after, like, I'm not going to pay you. But still, <laughs> you know, you're, uh, you know, I just knew that he was a star, you know. So then as the years went on, we'd see him sometimes um, at shows, you know. He, he's from Arizona, and so we'd see him at shows in Arizona. And we'd, you know, after a while, we got older, he'd sell shirts for us or whatever. And, and about a year and a half ago, or maybe two years ago now, he, he said to me, hey man, you know, I, I, I've been playing a lot of drums and I really think I could play with you guys. And I'm like, dude, I love you so much. And we had this great moment. Why are we going to ruin it by you come in and you try and hang out in the room with me and you can't hang and we're all kind of looking at each other like this guy can't hang, right? You don't want to be that guy. And he's like, no, no, man, I can do it. I can do it. I said, all right, dude, you know. Damned if I didn't fly him out to LA. He got in that room and he just kicked ass without a bass player, or I think maybe we had a bass player who was like a fill-in guy. It wasn't even Nick, you know? And so he really had to be good. And damned if he didn't come in and just kick ass, you know? And he he knew all the Dwarf shit cold, which I knew he would. But he he knew what to do, you know? So it was like, fuck, we got a new drummer. And, and he, you know, man, I'm more than twice that guy's age. So knowing that he grew up with me and loves me and feels me, that makes me feel really good, you know what I mean? Because it makes me feel like, you know, music can touch everybody, different ages, you know? A lot of times now online, people will attack you, and it's so funny because people will be like, you're old, you know, and that's just supposed to shut me down. You know, I'm like, yes? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not denying it, dude, you know? I, I made my first record when I was 16, 17, where the fuck were you? You know, it's like, I, I was young for a very long time. I'm not the old guy going, Hey, I I wish I was young again. You know, like people get it wrong. They think, Oh, you're still in a punk band. You must, you know, you, you want to hang out with kids or you want to try and act like you're young or you want to do something. No, I'm, I'm part of our culture and young people are feeling me sometimes when they feel my cultural thing, you know? And, And that's so gratifying to play something like punk rock and know that people who are, 30, 40 years younger than you are feeling it, you know, it's like, fuck, this is great, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely, I mean, that's that's sort of the goal for every, you know, punk musician, I guess, right, is to make that kind of impact on people.
1: I think it's also the goal of pop musicians, and they fail at it miserably, because they come up and they really touch the culture with all their marketing and bullshit and advertising and management and, and payola, right, and then they really, really touch the culture, And then two years later, you know, hey, he's in the where are they now file, you know? It's like, no, man, I've been relevant for 40 years and I've never been relevant for 40 years. I've been totally ignored for 40 years and I've been beloved for 40 years. You know, it just depends how you look at it. You know, it's like, I love pop music when it's good, including modern pop music. I'm not one of those old guys who go, oh, everything's bad now. There's still some good shit. I hear good stuff, but it's just like, Pop is very unsatisfying if you're not the best pop artist. You know, if you're the Beatles, the pop is very satisfying. But I knew I wasn't that talented. You know, so it was kind of like, you know, you 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 know, you need to. Uh, uh, the, the age thing is very funny because I don't want to be pathetic and I don't want to be trying to hang out with people that are very younger than me, but I do want to influence people with with what I've done and I think what young people feel from the doors now is that spirit of I can say whatever I want, I can do whatever I want. I'm not afraid. You know, because they've taught your generation to be afraid. You know, and it's like it, it, and now and then shit happens that is scary this pandemic is scary as shit nobody knows what to do and your whole generation right when you're trying to bloom and blossom is getting shut down by a pandemic who would have expected it's been a hundred years so i mean you know that's how life is and 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 like you can't be scared when you're scared man you die that's when they get you you know Yeah, I think,
0: I definitely think that sort of this generation is having a much different response to the whole pandemic than, you know, others. I think, you know, like you were saying, because we've sort of been taught to be scared of everything and be super cautious about everything. And now we're all getting to that point where we're like, yeah, maybe we don't need to do that. And here's something we maybe we should be doing that about. Right. (laughs) I think a lot of us are definitely not, you know, we're sort of intentionally not doing that. Right. I think, yeah, that's definitely one of the dangers of, you
1: know, sort of over, you know, being over, um, you know, scared or over-afraid or just... Over-cautious. And then it makes you overcompensate in the other way and go get too reckless, you know. But I don't know. It's, it's uh, yeah, that's always a hard one, right? Because, you know, I had a buddy and we used to take acid, you know, when we were in high school and, you know, he was my buddy and, you know, one day... You know, we were in our early 20s and he took acid and oops, you know, he became a schizophrenic, wound up at Bellevue. You know, it's like no life doesn't come with like a fairness button. You know, one person blows off the, uh, the, the wearing a mask or blows off the distancing and they're fine. Another person blows it off and, you know, they get sick for a while. Another person does it and they're dead. You know, it's like th- there's no even stuff here you know that's where the life doesn't come with a handbook you know yeah maybe you should have been safer well maybe you should have been more reckless but you have no way of knowing you know you just gotta I just think fear is always the enemy fear stops you from doing anything well and it gives you a life full of regret you know pe- people um, people just sit there and regret shit that they didn't do and I think What's so dangerous about it now is that the virtual world lets people pretend that they've done things that they haven't. All the pornography, yeah, so pretend you're having sex, you know. All the video games, yeah, pretend you could handle being in a fight, you know. I mean, you could give me a kid who's played two years of Call of Duty and and watched a hundred porno movies, but we both know he'd be better off with getting in one fist fight and getting a hand job. You know what I'm saying? It's like life is out there. And they, they've given us now such a menu of virtual bullshit that, you know, people have started to believe it. They're buying that, you know? But that ain't life. You'll feel so differently. There's nothing a porno movie can give you that holding a girl's hand isn't ten times better, you know? I mean, it just, that's that's it, you know? I mean, it's and maybe that's just an old dude, but, you know... That's how I feel about it, you know? The, the virtual world is is robbing us of a lot of things, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can definitely see that. But, I mean, you know, I'm, I've sort of grown up with all this stuff, though. So, you know, I've got sort of a different perspective on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I I can definitely see, you know, plenty of people, including myself, to a certain extent, you know, definitely losing a lot of time to these sort of things, you know? I think on one hand though it can be, you know, a nice way to connect with people and then you know use that to do more things that are separate from, you know, whatever game you're doing or whatever, you know, yeah. website you're on. But yeah, I think there's a huge danger in just getting into, you know, doing the one thing and just getting stuck doing that with nobody else. And then, you know, at the end of the day, what what do you get? You know, you don't you don't get anything.
1: And and it's impossible to quantify what you lost. You know, it's like, would okay. I sat here and jacked off every day for a year watching pornography or I tried to meet a girl, you know, or if you're a girl, I tried to meet a guy or I did whatever. Well, you know, a couple of those experiences are going to be shitty and embarrassing and weird. And you're like, huh, that really sucked. I would have been better off just staying home, jacking off. So it's, you know, these experiences have these troughs and valleys, you know, people get chased out of life by all kinds of things, you know, they have these formative experiences, and then they just run screaming. And what our modern life allows us to do is like, you don't even have to go to the supermarket and see anybody, right? Just go on Amazon, you know, you don't even, you don't even have to go to Best Buy to get your video game, (laughs) you can just have them mail it, you know, have them send it to you and just download it and whatever. So we keep getting more and more separated from each other. But you're right, I mean, it can really improve your life tremendously. Um, A lot of these things, I mean, technology's done great things for disabled people. You know, even looking at a band like The Dwarves, I mean, truth of the matter is, the first bands that really turned me on in high school were these 60s garage bands that were unknown. They never got played on the radio for the most part. There was no internet, so you couldn't find them. So their records were out of print, unavailable at the store. To find it, you had to find it used and, you know, there was a whole network of people talking to each other. And, you know, I remember very well, like, you know, I knew all my friends by what records they had. And when I was over there, I'd be like, Hey man, can you play that one? You know, like it was, it was, you know, much different. Like, so now, you know, so a band like the Dwarves in that world just disappears forever. Right? We're not in the record store, nobody knows it, nobody remembers it, and it's over. But in this world, with the internet and with technology, well, shit, I get to live on in there. And, and it turned out there were a lot of people that thought we were pretty cool, Who even though at the time we were just constantly getting thrown out and thrown away. It turned out that in, in the long run, a lot of bands that were 10 times bigger than us at the time are 100% forgotten. And we still have about the same audience we had at our peak in the, whatever, early, early 90s, mid-90s, whatever it was, you know. So uh, that's, you know, yeah, man, I mean, technology is not a bad thing, but the effects of it, and, and it, it just, it, it, I think it has a warping and stunting effect if you don't if you're not really careful with it. Yeah, definitely. I mean,
0: I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see how, you know, this sort of generation turns out even further down the line, you know? Like we're just sort of seeing that with, you know, the millennial kind of generation, and a lot of them are, you know, kind of messed up from it. They've, <laughs> you know, they haven't really, you know, gotten the right kinds of experiences or figured out how to do a lot of things. I mean, if I'm being honest, like I If we're talking about music, I haven't seen, you know, more than maybe 10 millennial musicians, you know, who, you know, just started out underground sort of posting stuff online or whatever and sort of, you know, gained any kind of following like that. But I've seen, you know, 100 Gen Z kind of musicians or rappers who've done that exact thing. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I wonder if maybe, you know, that's sort of an act of rebellion against the, you know, millennial generation or, you know, the Gen X kind of generation like...
1: I mean, let me say this. We deserve to be rebelled against. I mean, we ripped you all off. We took your economy and fucked you six ways to Sunday. And unfortunately, it's the same thing the generation before me did to my generation. It's happened now. You guys are the fourth generation of this, Right. The hippie. I mean, put but I get, I'll put it in perspective just for money, right? Because money makes a big difference. Everybody said, oh, the millennials are crybabies or Gen Z is a bunch of crybabies. Yeah, because you forced them to live at home with their mom. They don't have an economy where they can go out and get a job and live, right? So we, so you screw people over and you steal the money from their whole generation and then you say, hey, how come you guys are so weak and you won't do anything? Well, that's our fault, you know? I mean, and this, this shit really has been going on now. Yeah, you guys are the fourth generation of it. I mean, just to give you a quick rundown, let's say you wanted to buy a house in San Francisco, 1975, right? You get a decent house, San Francisco, 30 grand in 1975, right? 20 years later, by the time somebody like me is in a position to look at a house or start thinking about it, that same house is $300,000. Are people making 10 times more money 20 years later? no. We were making maybe two, three times as much money, but shit was 10 times more expensive. You know, so that generation told my generation, yeah, we'll just keep all the money. You guys can't afford a house, but that's how life goes. Then we did that to the millennials, right? You t- you know, now it's 2015 and those millennials are ready to think about buying a house or doing things. And, oh, that house that was 30 grand in 1975, 300 grand in, in 95 now it's two million dollars, and you're going, what the fuck? You know what I mean? I mean these so millennials, Gen Z, these people are looking at life and saying, wait a minute, you guys took everything, you old folks took everything. I, I don't blame them for being mad at us. I'd be mad at us, you know. We deserve it. We fucked you, and and when when people spilled out into the street last couple months, I was glad to see it. Because it was like, all right, man, maybe, you know, there's some subtlety here in your arguments that's lacking. But what it showed me was that young people have guts and they'll go out in the street and they were mad and they had something to say and they weren't going to take it anymore. I'd like to see them do that with the economy. I'd like, and, and I see signs of it. Younger people have a better sense of the, you know, man, we got to get this economy back to where it works for people who work for a living and not just for Bill Gates. And that, that's a big part of what made your generation and the millennials, to a certain degree, real scared. Because life's fucking scary when you don't have an apartment and you can't afford dinner and you can't afford a bed. That makes shit scary, you know? So. Do you
0: think you're, I guess, seeing more of that attitude from this generation than, like, when you were a kid?
1: Or do you think it's, you know, similar? I Good question. Your generation in some ways is much more questioning of reality than mine was. And your generation is now really taking basic questions about, yeah, what is with all this racial shit? And yeah, what is it with this economic shit? And yeah, what is it with power structures and people in charge of everything? And what is it with men get to run everything? And what is you know what I mean? Like your generation is asking those questions. Mine really didn't. My generation was kind of conformist. It was the Ronald Reagan era. It was the, you know, I'm going to get ahead. I don't really give a shit about you era, you know. And uh, and and so I, I think your generation is asking more questions. But there's a lot of structural shit working against you, and you guys are scared. And that that kind of balances things out, you know, because my generation was a little closer to like, hey, you know, Everybody was expected to get in a fight or two. Everybody was expected to get a girlfriend or two. If you're a girl, you're expected to get a boyfriend or two. If you're gay, you're expected to do your thing, you know. Now it's very like they want to micromanage your sexuality. They want to micromanage your thoughts. They want to tell you that, you know, you're a racist even if you haven't done anything racist. You're a sexist even if you haven't done anything sexist. It's all about, you know... Systems and power, and it's almost like it can. It's almost like they've sold you on this conspiracy theory idea of how flawed you are. You know, you're a man. You are a misogynist. You know, you're a you're a heterosexual, well then you're homophobic. You know, you. you and it, it's it's complicated because there certainly are homophobes. There certainly are are uh, you know racists. There's all kinds of bad people. But that it, it's pretty ridiculous to act like everybody's one. Everybody from a particular group. You know, and, and so that's the part that I think mentally your generation is grappling with and they're going to have to figure it out. And along the way, they've kind of invented this thing called cancel culture. And to me, cancel culture is sort of the cry of the disenfranchised. It's like, okay, we can't afford an apartment. We can't afford a car. We don't see much future. Let's just destroy people. You know, I got nothing to do. I'm not really creating anything. You know, yeah, I play in a rock band, but I don't really work very hard at like trying to write a song or trying to learn my instruments. So, but I can really ruin another rock band by saying they're sexist or saying they're racist or, you know, so that you're getting a lot of that now of a lot of people kind of making a power play about trying to ruin you and not a lot of people trying to build something constructive. You know, it's about let's ruin these people, you know, and and, and the idea of redemption, too is really removed you know it's like if you say one thing wrong and it's on the internet it's there forever and you're always that person and you can't change you know and that's that's something you guys have been saddled with too that was a bad side of the technology you know you know you you only see my bad old haircuts in a in a you know in a photo you know but you guys it's like you know you say one dumb thing and it's like you're that guy forever
0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you're enjoying it so far, please keep listening. we got some great stuff coming up. I just had to give you a little intermission here uh, because I had to cut some stuff out um, for the purpose of time. We, really, we don't have unlimited time, but we really did have a ton of stuff that we talked about in this one. And we do have some more stuff coming. So uh, please stay tuned. And I hope you enjoy. And just remember, you know, follow your dreams. If you really like something, if you really enjoy doing it, Keep going and keep getting better and keep improving yourself. If you really love it, it's gonna be worth doing. So, uh, with that said, let's get back to the interview. Let's hear it, Black. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've you've obviously built sort of a career off of those. I don't know, kinds of actions, I guess, those kinds of jokes that you've made. And, you know, you're still making, you know, not even Dwarf stuff, you're still doing, you know, just, you know, normal kind of music stuff still. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got that new album that you're working on right now.
1: Caramel Knowledge, yeah. Well, we were, I was calling it Candy Now, but, um, uh, because that was my old group that had a female in it. But yeah, you know, I'm, I make, like, sort of mainstream productions with good singers and different things and try and sell them and do stuff with them. And uh, uh, they can really ace you out of that world quick, you know what I mean? So it's, it's very, uh, it's, it's, it's strange going, you know. I, I try and grow as an artist. That's what I'm trying to do. So, you know, I like to work on things that are hard and make me uncomfortable. And so now I'm finally making my solo stuff, you know, very late in life for, for solo act. And it's much different. You know, it doesn't sound like punk rock's very country overtones and you know some just sort of pop rock overtones and stuff is like that and i you know and i'm really hoping that dwarves fans dig it but also that people who don't give a shit about the dwarves at all dig it you know um that's that makes it fun for me and again that's what makes you an artist you know because I know how to make a Dwarf record I could do that over and over again so it's kind of hard to get out of your comfort zone and make something that you don't exactly know how to make you know yeah I mean
0: that's it's definitely you know tough it's definitely a big leap that you have to make obviously uh, just sort of there's another thing I want to talk about but just sort of a little bit off of that like when after you had kind of started the Dwarves and played with them for a while like when about did you decide to start trying you know more mainstream stuff for more you know different genre
1: yeah, Mainstream was, a, was still a while coming, but it was basically after, after the sub-pop thing. 93, 94, the band was more abundant. Very difficult to get a record deal, so I just said, okay, I'll be a solo act, but the solo act was just still the Doors. But I said, you know, I really love bluegrass music, and so I made a record called Earl Lee Grace for the more kind of countryish songs that I had written. And it's actually, you know, it's a well-played record. It's a well-written record. I'm very proud of it. I wish I would have put harmony vocals on it. There's very little of that on there, and it really desperately needs it. So when I hear it, I think, ah, I didn't do this right. But that was the beginning of like, okay, man, you know, these labels will throw you away, and the Dwarves is a very narrow band, and you got to try other things, you know. So then I guess prior to that, Um, you know, I did, we did kind of a sleazy glam thing called Penetration Moon. So that was sort of a side thing, slightly different than the Dwarves and more like sleazy mid-tempo glam kind of stuff. But it was really, it took until about 2007 when the Candy Now record came out that I really made a record with a very different kind of production. And uh, I'm very proud of that record. You know, uh, I didn't really have a lot of help with it. I kind of had to conceive of it and figure it out. But Tom Ayers, the musician on there was so great. And Angelina, the Russian female singer on there, has got that unique voice of hers, you know, because she's Russian, it's so nobody sounds like her. And she's just got great chops. And it was a very interesting record. So that was sort of the beginning of it. But yeah, it's hard, you know, because you make a record like that, and A, it's out of my comfort zone, and B, it's not really a band, so you can't go promote it. So then I'm right back out playing dwarf shows, trying to make money, sell t-shirts, and, you know. So that's, uh, I'm I'm very energized by this, this thing now, because I feel like it's a solo thing that I can kind of get old with, and I love it and I think it's good and I think my old fans would be like okay I can accept this cuz even though the music's there the lyrics are still weird and we can live with this and and I think other people with no connection to the Doras just like it like a country jam or like it like a mid-tempo rock jam and be like okay I like this you know so that's been that's been exciting you know and again it's always just thinking of yourself as an artist you know if you think of yourself as an artist and somebody who makes cool shit it's easier to jump around, you know, if I was just the guy from the dwarves, then it's harder to jump around, then I just got to be that guy all day, every day, you know, that's a hard guy to be.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, this, this, even this podcast is kind of branching out a little bit for me. Actually, like, you know, when I started, you know, trying to make stuff or you know, start to entertain people, that's what I sort of, started doing i wanted to be like a voice actor you know and after that that then i tried to, you know the music thing and i i kind of assumed i'd be really good at it you know because i was in you know band at school or whatever but you know that was kind of a rude awakening for me a little bit <laughs> when i wasn't like great all of a sudden but i don't know there are there are also you know people like uh, like josh Fries. right like he <laughs> he was great coming out of the womb man yeah Yeah, like, he, you know, he
1: played music his whole, you know, life as a kid. And he, you know... His dad's a musical genius, too. I mean, if your dad's a musical genius, it goes right. His brother is great. It's just like, yeah, that's just the whole... You're never going to be better than that. And that's the weird thing in life. There's always somebody smarter than you. There's always somebody tougher than you. In music, there's always somebody more talented than you. You know, in a world of Josh Freezes, every other drummer can just go home and take a nap, you know. So, you know, that's... Yeah, the, the uh, um, you know, part of the lesson is don't quit, but also kind of recognize who you are and what you do, you know. If you were Josh Freeze, you'd know it by now, but you're not, you know. And uh, that's that's kind of what people got to understand. I, I was pretty good about being realistic from the beginning. I played guitar. I wrote my songs on the guitar. And as soon as I could, I tried to give the guitar to somebody else to play because I didn't, I just knew that I wasn't that good, you know. So it was like... You, you don't have to hate yourself, but see, here's the other thing. A lot of young artists psych themselves out. They've got the vision of what the perfect record should be or the perfect musician should be. And then when they can't do it right away, they just ace themselves out. You got to put in the work, but you also got to kind of recognize, you know, you can't rebuild a, a, a Hyundai into a Cadillac, you know? You, you, people have, you know you got to kind of go with the skills you got and then train, you know what I mean? And you can train as much as you want if you're five feet tall, but you ain't getting in the NBA. If you're seven feet tall, okay, but then you better do some training. Because there's other guys that are seven feet tall and they've been training, you know. So it's, it's, uh, you got to kind of find that ratio of like, wow, I'm pretty good at this and I'm willing to put in the work. And when you, when you finally find what that thing is, that's kind of the magic moment, you know. When did you, like,
0: start sort of training, you know, your voice, I guess, or your, you know, singing ability? Because, you know, back in the early kind of days, it was, you know, a lot of screaming and maybe, you know, it wasn't the highest quality. It was
1: pretty much after I met Eric Valentine, I think. Um, I met Eric Valentine and uh, during the time when I was making Young Good Looking, which turned out to be a real watershed record for the Dwarves. I got some better players... I wrote some better songs, right? So part of it was starting to think about songwriting more. I think through the sub pop era, I just wrote what I wrote. And part of what influences the voice is, you know, I would write a song on the guitar and then whatever I wrote, I would just sing it wherever I had done it on the guitar. Once you meet a guy like Eric and he approaches things in a more pop way, you're kind of taught a different way. Like, no dude, this is a song with a vocal melody you have to find the right key for your voice. I mean, that was a revelation, you know, or like, hey, you know, we got to figure out what tempo this song goes at. It was like, really? People figure that out in advance? You know, like we, nobody ever helped me with anything. You know, because I'm a very confident sounding person, so it doesn't really make people want to help me with shit usually. So like nobody ever really helped me with much, you know? And when I got to Eric, he helped me, you know? And, and basically, at a certain point, I just looked at him and said, dude, you're really good. Show me what the fuck to do, you know? And I was 27 by then. I'd had some record deals. I'd written some songs. I'd done some shit. Um, and, and, you know, I started to, you know, and it was at that time that the technology was improving. So now you could play around with Pro Tools. A couple years later, auto-tune. I was like, shit, okay. You know, so I started really thinking about vocal melodies and practicing things and thinking about what key I should be doing things in. And that was kind of a process, you know. And, and I think it's made me a better singer. You know, so again, that's the thing about getting old, right? You know, as you get old, everything's getting worse, right? Your throat's getting worse and you're getting weaker and you're getting smaller and you're getting this and that. The good part is the experience and the brains, you know. You start to figure it out, you know. I started to be able to figure out how to make a record that sounded the way I wanted it to, sing a song the way I wanted to sing it, you know? And and that was a big moment. you know. Part of it was just thinking about it. I'd gone on instinct for the first 10, 12 years of my career. I just went on instinct about singing, writing, touring. We didn't know anything. We didn't know about booking agents, managers, we were just like, well, labels put out records. Let's just find a label. I, it never even occurred to me that people had managers that got you an actual deal at a label, you know. Booking agents. I mean, we just used random people a lot, like from the club that seemed to like the band. It was like, would you book a tour for us, you know? I mean, I do not think I had a booking agent until, fuck, you know, 1991, 92 or something. You know, I mean, I'd already been playing shows for, eight, nine years at that point. So finding people that'll help you is big and then willing being willing to take the help is a big deal too, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I guess I sort of I don't know, realized I wasn't, you know, gonna be, you know, job freeze or anything pretty early, like the first, you know, practice we had as a band. <laughs> you know, so I've sort of since then been, you know, really looking for you know, like, even our bassist now, like, he's he's a way better drummer than I am. You know, he's right. he, he's like a virtuoso, even, maybe. Right. So he's, you know, he's got tons of stuff that he can, you know, teach me, I guess, that he has been. But, you know, to be completely honest, like, I've, you know, that's been difficult for me, too, you know. Like, it's hard to admit that, you know, I'm not as good as this person, even though they've only been playing for, you know, half the time that I have. Right. But, yeah, to really get better, you, you know... That's the way to do it. That's what you want. Yeah, and
1: there's a few things here. I mean, you know, you get better at things by working hard. Also, you're young. And so, you know, um, it, you don't, don't want to psych yourself out. You know, maybe a year of playing drums hardcore for a while would give you a lot more confidence, make you way better. And, you know, just committing to, I'm going to play drums an hour a day every day. I'm going to see where I get. Yeah, you're, you're never going to be Josh Freeze. That's true. But you could be pretty damn good. You know, so so that's what you have to kind of figure out, and you don't also don't want to make the mistake of saying, okay, I'm going to wait for whatever I'm a genius at, because that can be a very subtle thing. I mean, look at look at these big things like on TV. They have showrunners, you know, the people who created the show run the show. It's like, who would know that they're a brilliant showrunner? I mean, you don't, that's not the kind of thing you're ever going to know. You realize it when you see, oh, gee, I seem to have a knack for organizing people. And I, and I seem to have a knack for knowing what's cool before other people do. And I seem to have a knack for kind of finding cool actors and actresses that people want to look at. And I seem to be good sitting in a corporate boardroom with somebody convincing them to put a record. I mean, who, who's going to know that they're a genius at that? You know, nobody. So you might be a genius at something with several levels of complexity. And maybe being a mediocre drummer and, and, and uh, you know an okay computer programmer and a, a pretty smart chemistry student are the things that make you able to do the thing you're a genius at. So you got to kind of be kind to yourself and let yourself be what you are, you know? I mean, the fact is, dude, you know, when I started working with Eric, he could say whether I was singing sharp or flat. About the best I can do is go, oh, that wasn't right. You know, he knows what's sharp and what's flat. Then when I sat with Tom Ayers in a room running autotune, he was like, you know, I think you should be, you know, 0.5 cents... Uh, you know, uh, sharper here. I think you should be, you know, point, you know, at, you know. and he had never even used auto-tune before. It's just his ear is so good. He's like, you're off the A by this much. You know, you're off the G by that much. I mean, it was like, I look at a guy like that and I'm like, dude, you'll never be that guy. I don't care if you practice every day of your life. You, you, you can only be that guy if you're born with that. Okay, fair enough. But then, you know, it works in reverse too. Tom's looking at me like, fuck, Blag! like, one way or the other, you keep coming up with songs and concepts and musicians, you know, and then when I sit a Tom Ayers in a room with a Josh Freeze, then they're both going, Josh is going, thanks for putting me in a room with Tom, and Tom's going, thanks for putting me in a room with Josh, and I'm going, fuck, what the fuck am I doing, this is easy, you know, so it's it's very, like, uh, I mean, it was that way when I put Nick Oliveri and Josh in the same room, You know, nobody plays hardcore better than Josh, and nobody plays hardcore better than Nick. I don't care who the fuck it is. You know, and it was like, oh, shit. Those guys had never played together. The minute they played together, it was like watching Two Pigs and shit. They just loved it, you know? And I'm just sitting here like, fuck, dude, I can't play drums, I can't play bass. But today, I guess I kind of did something for rhythm sections, because I just put Nick Oliveri and Josh Fries in the same fucking room, you know? Making a record, I mean, uh, uh you know, the uh, fuck. I got to, I got to record uh, Aaron. What's his name? Oh, you'd hate me for forgetting his name. He's The great session drummer. I just recorded this guy about a about a year ago. But again, I was just thinking to myself, man, this is like a dream. You got this cat, and you think, Aaron, I wish I could remember his fucking last name. He's, he's so good. He's like one of the top cats, you know, and he, and just did such a great job on it. And it was just like, you know, and it's nice to know that people like that are like hearing your song and going, wow, this is cool. You know? Uh, um, so yeah, I, I uh, it, don't be too hard on yourself. Don't, you don't have to be a genius at everything. Cause a lot of things take like myriad skill sets and just being kind of good at this and sort of okay at that adds up to a lot, you know? Um, and sometimes it's just personality, you know? I mean, sometimes it just comes down to like, hey, this is the only guy in the room that everybody liked. <laughs> that one rarely happens to me. <laughs> but, you know, I have friends where it's like, fuck, everybody loves this guy, you know? It's like, that's a skill too, you know? So there's all kinds of skills. And, and don't be too hard on yourself, but be realistic, you know? You gotta know what you, you know, sometimes, every once in a while, somebody will come to me with their music, and I feel so bad for them. Um, you know, cause you don't, you never want to say to somebody, just give it the fuck up, dude. You can't do this, you know, but it becomes harder and harder when people are like, Hey, they're talking about spending money and taking years out of their life and doing this and that, you know, Uh, a woman came to me who was a great visual artist. She'd made a bunch of cool art, and then she made something cool for me, I'm like, man, you're so fucking great, and she's like, yeah, you know, but I've done music my whole life, and I really want to do music, you know, can you help me with that, and I'm like, sure, you know, and she comes in, and I was just like, dude, can I just be honest with you, I mean, I'm not trying to make money off you, I don't give a shit, so I don't need a client, why are you even doing this, like, you're a great visual artist, why, you know, like, if you want to play music, just do it for fun in your basement. Like, you don't want to be spending thousands of dollars working on these songs. I'm telling you, you know. And it's hard for people to hear. Nobody wants to hear that, you know. You want to hear, "Yeah, your music's great, it feels great," you know, but at least, you know, I was able to know that this person was a really good visual artist. So it was like, "Hey man, you you're already kind of geniusy at something else, you know? Like, you just this ain't this ain't your world, you know?" it's hard it's hard for people to hear things some people you know their heart's in the right place but they just don't have the chops you know
0: yeah I mean that's yeah that's I, I can definitely you know obviously I you know again I don't have a lot of experience with you know that sort of thing like you know I assume I'm gonna have to face something like that at some point you know like I've I've been trying to do a bunch of things you know for a while I guess in my life uh, a bunch of them I've, I've just sort of given up you know because I didn't have the time
1: or the resources or whatever. Yeah, I'm sitting here looking at your vibraphone, and I, <laughs> I don't know if you're gonna be Lionel Hampton anytime soon either.
0: <laughs> I don't know. You've never seen me play. I vibraphone. haven't. Maybe
1: you kick ass on the fucking vibes. I shouldn't. I shouldn't be shitting on you. I just it's covered over with a blanket, so it makes it look like you you you're you're off it now. But you never know
0: no yeah i mean that's you know i'm still figuring stuff out i'm still trying to find what you know
1: what i'm good at i guess you're kind of lucky you're doing that i'm kind of i guess it just depends right the grass is always greener i'm kind of bummed that i always knew it was going to be this i knew it i knew it you know I was like i can't this is it like i don't want to live if i can't do this you know there's something kind of enviable about looking around for things and playing through things, you know? I've been so focused on, like, this, you know, especially when I was your age. You know, like, everybody, you, you know what the family's like. Everybody's very smart and has these big degrees and all this shit. I, I bailed off after high school. My first job was cleaning toilets at MIT. So, I mean, you know, that was not exactly what the family was dreaming about, you know? It, you know, it was, but I was so driven to just be in a rock band. That was, that was all I was going to do, you know? So it, it's, uh, it's, that's a tough one. I think I kind of envy your position you're playing around with this, playing around with that, getting a feel for things, not getting too committed to anything, you know? Cause, uh, I think if I would to be able to zig and zag a little more in my life, I'd probably be a little happier now. I would, you know, I would have indulged some of the other things I could do, you know? you know, working shitty day jobs so you could go out on tour and lose your apartment when you came home, you know, sounded romantic, but it was a pretty hard way to spend 10 years of my life, you know. So.
0: (laughs) No, I know, I mean, you've, you know, had sort of a history with, um, you know, I I don't know if you want to bring this up or not, but you've had kind of a history with um, trivia game shows in a way. I know I've heard, you know, just some underground kind of stuff.
1: is this about the, dude, I mean, I don't Yeah, it's about,
0: um, I, I don't know if you want me to talk about it. We can, you know, we can skip over it, but I'm sure people want to,
1: you know, hear it. Well, dude, but it's not very cool that you even would go into that. I mean, because you, you're talking about rumors that have been coming from places and that's, look, I, I'm out of here, man. Fuck this.
0: <laughs> Come on. Everybody wants to hear about it. Uh, okay, fuck. Um, guys, I, I, shit, um, okay. I guess that maybe he'll come back, I don't know. Fuck, alright, so, uh, this has been another episode of Fives. Gonna take most of that out, I'm guessing. Uh, but yeah, Blagdalia, he's got stuff coming out, he's doing a lot of cool stuff, uh, I guess, go check him out. Uh, seems like kind of an asshole, but, you know, I guess, you know few years with trebek kind of can do that to a person but uh you know tune in next time we'll have somebody else on somebody a little more tolerant i guess you know of of their past of their history with uh you know people like that and you know go watch jeopardy if you want a fun time i know i know blag would fucking hate you for it but i think you should do it just despite him you know so uh thanks for listening guys and see you in the next one